grab a seat today. Love you, church. Thank you, worship team. That was so wonderful. I'm excited for the days when we don't need to load in and load out and we can have longer services. I'm looking forward to the days where we can come by. So who wants to come back for a night service and just work? I'm looking for. I have some dreams and visions and God's doing something, but we're glad you're here today. Today we want to welcome, we have some special guests with us, um, uh, Ben and Emma um, and their family, Narayan and their family and, and some of their leadership team are here visiting us. They were for our first ever uh, Nova retreat. Uh, we headed this weekend Oak Island Inn, found no treasure on the island, but we found the treasure that is my wife. I'd say I'm just going to keep just keep going down that, make you feel bad for gloating about your trophy. Uh, but we found treasure in community and in God's presence. It was a wonderful weekend, and they came and ministered, and they are gracious enough to stay and bless us today. And they're originally from Australia, and four to five years ago, they moved and helped plant, started. A, they planted a church in northern Vancouver, and it's a church that is vibrant. It loves God, loves people. They are so fun. They love God, and their, their love for people is intoxicating. So much so that our son Josh, that's where he moved to for a gap year and an internship. He's interning with them. So they're here serving us, and Josh in a few hours will be getting up and serving that church. He's a part of that community, um, and we're just blessed to have them today. Can we, can we in a moment, Usually, you know, sometimes there's a patty cake clap. No, we want to bless them today. Can we give them a Nova Church welcome and welcome Pastor Ben and Emma to the stage today? Good morning. It is a great morning. We brought you some sunshine. I hope you're enjoying it. You're welcome. Uh, like Pastor Mike said, my name is Emma, and uh, it's been a privilege to be with some of your staff and your team over this uh, weekend to just serve and see the Holy Spirit move. And I can honestly just encourage you as a church that the Spirit of God is moving, and you have uh, pastors and team that are hungry for His presence. And we just feel blessed to be here. Like, um, honestly, it's been a real privilege to actually experience Nova Church and just know we're looking after Josh. He's He's an incredible man. We didn't really have to do anything, which is just a testimony to your pastors. Uh, they're incredible parents, and uh, that says a lot about your pastors. So thank you for having us. I'm going to hand over to this handsome man as he preaches yes. the word today, so I hope you enjoy. Oh, no one clapped when she said handsome, but anyway. Well, once again, it's such a privilege to be with you. You do have wonderful pastors that are a blessing to this nation and just great friends of ours. And so sometimes we get used to what we have, but can I just encourage you today from someone from the other side of the country coming in, I can testify to how wonderful they are, but more importantly, how much they brag and love you guys. They just like talk about you nonstop. It's really good. I don't think I talked about my church once in the last, I'm just kidding, but... It's wonderful to be here. Hey, I thought I'd take some time to introduce my kids. Uh, we have three wonderful kids. Levi here on the front row is our eldest. He's about to turn 12. Uh, and all that comes with 12-year-olds, you know what I mean? So help me out. Um, and then we have Alice, who's about to turn 10, and Eden, who's about to... T oh, she is six. Uh, she's six going on to seven. But um, I always like to give people insight into our family and just how our... Especially our kids, how they operate. When Alice and Levi were younger... Uh, before Eden was even a twinkle in our eye, uh, my dad decided to buy them rabbits, baby rabbits, right? So they were four and two years old at the time, and he bought them rabbits. This is chaos. Um, and Alice called her rabbit Pepper, and Levi called his rabbit Muglin. Don't know what that means, but that's what he called <laughs> Muglin. Anyway, after a few months, Emma and I started getting premonitions that these rabbits were in trouble. Not that they were in the time, but we just, one morning... Um, I woke, was it you woke up? No, I woke up. I had a dream that Alice had put her rabbit in the pool, Pepper in the pool. But it was just a dream, very vivid dream. But I woke up in such, ever had a dream that you woke up, it felt so real, you had to stand up and check that it wasn't. Right? So I stood up, looked out the window to look at the pool, believing that it wasn't real. When I woke up and looked outside, my two-year-old daughter is in one of those, like she's near the portable pool, baptizing her rabbit. So Emma rushes out there. I'm like a good dad. I'm like, Emma, quick, go. <laughs> Emma gives this rabbit CPR. I kid you not. And, and the rabbit lives. 
It's a miracle. Emma was crying. It was just, I'm just a rabid, but whatever. It's good. A few weeks later, we, uh, I'm at work. Emma's at home with the kids, and she, I get this phone call, and she's like, Ben, you need to come home right away. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I think Pepper's dead. I'm like, what do you mean? I've been giving it CPR for half an hour now. And I'm like, I'm coming home. <laughs> I come home, and my two kids are sitting. Levi is distraught. Alice is just sitting there quietly. And I said, Emma, what happened? She's like, I found Alice. She'd put her rabbit, rabbit pepper in a big plastic. You know, you get like 50 ping pong balls in one plastic jar. She'd emptied out the ping pong balls and she'd stuck her rabbit in there. And then she got Levi's rabbit, Muglin, the rabbit's brother, and pushed her, him on top. It was such a force that she broke Pepper's back. So sad, I know, but I didn't care. This is a rabbit. <laughs> what I cared about was when Emma had sent the kids to their room and I'd come home, all right, Pepper's gone. Muglin is like, he's, imagine being Muglin. Your body weight was used to crush your sibling. <laughs> Levi, this is, a, this is a great picture of our two oldest kids. Levi is in his room, he is mourning. He's so upset, he's like, God, why is this happening? Alice is in her room with a book. She's two years old, dead quiet, sitting on like one of those, you know, those miniature sofas that you buy your kids, sitting on the lounge, pretending to read. <laughs> and I look at her and she stops and she doesn't raise her head, she just raises her eyes and looks at me. And I'm like the adult in this moment. And I'm like, close the door and I go back to Emma. I'm like, something wrong with that girl. <laughs> so and to this, like I kid you not, when she was this age, I, I was so terrified of her. I'd put her in a room and Emma would go out with her friends. I'd be like, go to bed, Alice. And Levi was great. He'd go to bed, read a book. He's awesome like that. He, Alice would go to bed. And then he, she kept coming into my room. And so I locked my door. It was just one of those simple locks. Right? And like about half an hour later, the door handle starts rattling. And I'm like, what is going on? This is so disconcerting. Rattling, rattling, rattling. And then finally the door lock pop. And I'm like, what? And the door flings open and... In comes Alice with like a fully soiled nappy, a white singlet with stains on it, and she had her brother's Nerf shotgun. I kid you not, she said, I'm going to kill you and make it look like an accident. And I'm like, what? She just watched Cat in the Hat, and it's a line in Cat in the Hat. Uh, it's right, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, who let you watch Cat in the Hat? This is terrifying. But she, she has grown into being a very wonderful, lovely woman. <laughs> but I'm terrified. Our youngest, she's one of those lamenters. You know, like if something goes wrong or if she's in trouble, she will go and lament. She will write a song in third person to comfort herself. One time, uh, Sarah, who's in our front row here, is one of our wonderful leaders from our church that we brought with us. Uh, she was looking after the girls, and she told, uh, you know, Eden that she had, she couldn't do something. She couldn't eat food or something. Like, you just kept the boundary. It was normal stuff. Eden went to her room, and she writes this song. I kid you not. It's okay. She doesn't even live here. <laughs> she doesn't belong here. <laughs> She does this about everything. She'll just, she'll just write these lamentations. <laughs> uh, she's wonderful. She, she actually slipped over and banged her face uh, at the resort. And so when you see her, you'll see that she's got a little bit of a stitch there. Uh, but show her some love. It happened on Sarah's watch. Um, so I'm like, maybe Sarah just got a bit of payback from the song. <laughs> Who doesn't live here now? Okay. Hey, I want to talk to you today about a very simple but powerful thing that we do regularly as human beings in our life uh, in multiple ways. It's one of those English words that we use that has many ways to, you know, to, to use it and, and apply it. Uh, and it's the simple concept of reaching. And so today's message that I want to share with you is called the reach. And we reach for things all the time, right? As a child, you learn to reach for your parents, Right? And it's a beautiful moment where, you know, you have, especially when they're younger, they come up to you and they reach up and you just like, your heart melts and you pick them up. It's wonderful. And they reach to you because you, you represent so much stuff for them, comfort, protection, provision. And so they reach to you. But we reach other things like we reach milestones in our life, or at least we attempt to, right? It's a big deal when you turn 16. In Australia, it's a big deal when you turn 18. What's the age here that's a big deal? 16, 19, yep, so it's, it's a big thing, 21's a big age group in Australia, like even though you could vote and drink at 18, 21's where you're actually expected to do adult things, 
You reach milestones all the time. You reach, you know, you want to have, uh, you want to fall in love, hopefully, right? You want to reach that moment in life. You want to, you want to get married, hopefully, and, and have kids, God willing. You want to reach these milestones. We reach things all the time. You ever remember the show Fear Factor? Right, and they'd have like a container filled with like a, like a thousand spiders and you had to reach into there and find the whatever you're pulling out and get a ward. I would never do that, but you reach into things all the time. You reach for door handles. Woody from, uh, from Toy Story, pull his cord, what does he say? Reach for the sky. No one watched Toy Story here? It's not, a, it's not an East Coast thing? Didn't make it out this far? <laughs> Two, three, four, or five didn't get here either? It's <laughs> a big franchise. We reach all the time for things. And I think there's something powerful about reaching. And as Christians, Scripture tells us all the time what we are allowed to reach for and whom we should reach for and what times and when we should reach for things. But it's interesting, as human beings, we suffer from like either you know, selective forgetfulness or pride or fear and doubt. And so today I want to talk about how useful, but more importantly, how powerful it is for us as believers to reach. I don't know who's in the room right now. I don't know most of your stories, but what I do know is that we've come to encounter a God that first reached for us and he held nothing back. The Bible tells us he gave us the darling of heaven, his very own son, Jesus, so that we would have the ability to reach for him. We can reach for him. Every circumstance, every situation, highs and lows, mountaintops and valley lows, we can reach for him. Jesus says that we should get up daily and pick up our cross and follow him. When I read that, I see I should get up, pick my cross up, and I should reach for him. It should be the first thing I do is is to locate where my savior and friend is. Reach, pursue. If you're taking notes this morning, my first point is God's reach. God has a reach that's unbelievable. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning or your phone, would you turn, scroll with me to Isaiah 6. There's a very famous scripture verse. We're going to read from verse 1. To verse 3, it's very famous. You would know it if you've been in the church for a while. This would be something that would be familiar to you. If you're new to faith, this is a very, very powerful image that a prophet in the Old Testament has, a vision of heaven. And it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. When I was 15 years old, I remember I was at a youth conference and a few days earlier, I had, uh, was hanging the, the clothes in Australia. We have these Hills Toys clothesline. I don't know, they're famous where we're from uh, and they're out in the backyard uh, and we just use the abundance of sun, something that Canada actually lacks, um, to dry our clothes. Uh, Australia's been helping with carbon emissions for a long time. You would love it there. You, if you're solar powered... Oh man, all year round, you'd be buzzing. And I remember hanging clothes and my dad came up to me and uh, it was a few days before this conference, he said, Ben, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, As a 15-year-old, you're not really developed mentally or emotionally to the point that you know how to receive that information. I said, Dad, what does that mean? He says, look, it's acute pancreatic cancer and the doctors have given me a few months. And I remember going... Uh, into this conference and they were singing this song. It's a, it was about it's 20 years ago now. Uh, it was a Planet Shakers song. Do you guys know what Planet Shakers is? Yeah, yeah. They sang that. They made that kid's song famous, Our God is So Big. They sang it and then adults were singing it as if it was okay. I was like, anyone else weirded out by this? Anyway, they wrote this song, and in this song, it said, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Heavenly hosts crying, holy, holy, holy. 
And for whatever reason, when I was sitting in there trying to come to terms with the diagnosis that my dad had been given, I fixated on the idea of the train of his robe filling the temple. Many years later, with this fixation, I began to study what did this mean, and I was profoundly impacted on what I learned about this whole image of the train of God's robe filling the temple. Back in those days, in ancient times, when a king uh, defeated another king in battle, what would happen is the victorious king would go over to the defeated king and he would cut a portion of that king's robe off and he would have it sewn to his robe. So you can imagine the length of your robe. What would it do? It would signify how victorious you have been as a king. So when we read this scripture verse and Isaiah says, oh, when I saw in heaven that the train of God's robe filled the temple... You can imagine this is not going to be some small little hut. This is the heavenly realm, the heavenly temple of God. His robe filled the temple. We're not, we're not just having a nice bathrobe image here. What is he actually saying? Is that our King, our Lord, the Almighty, his robe is uh, it's everlasting to everlasting, it's undefeated. We serve an undefeated God. This is the image that Isaiah gives us. The reach of God into our life is undefeated. It's unrestricted. Nothing too big or too small. You need to understand this right now. There's no problem too big or small. Jesus doesn't see it as big and small. He sees it as defeated. The train of his robe signifies that he is victorious, that he has risen above, that he seats on the, the, the right hand of God, seated, the work has been done. You only sit as monarchy when the job is done. The Bible says that Jesus, Hebrews talks about it, sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the work has been done. He has defeated the grave. He has overcome. He is everlasting to everlasting. He is victorious. The train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Somebody needs to hear this morning that God's reach in your life is not prohibited by your circumstance. It's not even prohibited by your pride or your lust or your temptation, not prohibited by your anger or your, or your greed. All it's prohibited by is your ability to surrender. Nothing you carry into this room right now can stop him outside of you. And it's not that he wouldn't. He just is a God that believes in relationship. Therefore, he won't impose on you. God's reach is unmatched. No curse can assault his throne. For some of us, we need to be encouraged in the midst of the battle that when the Bible says that God is before us, he is with us and he's our rear guard, he is not just a nice, fluffy neighborhood Messiah. He is the undefeated King of Kings. He has run into every battle and come out victorious. He's run into every battle and cut off the robe of the defeated. He has run into every battle on our behalf and overcome. So when we say, hey, in Christ we're more than conquerors, it's not a nice catchphrase or a zing a title. This is our inheritance. This is our reality in every situation. God's reach is unrestricted. It's interesting, however, that we can restrict him. We do it all the time. I was just telling at your retreat, I went on a six-week series rant to my church about how we say things about the characteristic and the nature of our God, but do we really mean it? Like our God never fails. Who says that? Who believes it? Put your hand up if you believe our God never fails. It's like, it's clearly a trap, isn't it? <laughs> I believe it, but he's gonna say something. I'm with you. I believe my God never fails. The problem is I don't live as if my God never fails. Not all the time. I find myself restricting it because of my doubt or my need to control or my lack of vision because I don't have the right perspective because I'm on ground level, not heavenly level. I can't see over the mountain. I just see the mountain. And so instead of turning to the one who creates and who overcomes and can move in faith, I just begin to make decisions and I begin to reach for things in my own strength. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel 24? 
Once again, we're going to read a scripture verse that, especially if you grew up in church, this is a famous story. I'll give you some context just so everyone's on the same page right now. But we're about to read a story about David, who is not yet king, but has been anointed king, who's hiding in a cave because current king, King Saul, is hunting him down with a lot of men from Israel. Now, David has been anointed king to come for this nation. He knows the promise spoken over his life. He knows what God has, has made straight in his path. But currently, what is to come and what he's living in is two different things. He's on the run. He's an outlaw. The king, the most mightiest man in the nation, is hunting him down. And he's hiding in this cave. And so we pick the story up here in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. It says this, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave and the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Isn't it interesting, when I was younger and I read that, I felt like he was conscience-stricken simply because he laid a hand on Saul's robe. But I more I know about the cultural context, he's, he's stricken with a, a conscience that is sick because what he has done signifies that Saul has been defeated. At whose hands? David's hands? David's doing? Or God's doing? So isn't it interesting that when we find ourselves in the back of the cave, waiting for God's promise, finding ourselves surrounded, finding ourselves being afflicted from all corners, that when we have this opportunity and it looks right, that we listen to what our friends say, Hey, isn't this the thing that God said? Isn't this what he told you? Didn't he say you can just go up in your own strength, in your own timing, and force your will and your desire onto the situation? Just go do it. This is what happens when men and women reach for things outside of the will of God. This is what happens when we're impatient and we can't wait. Do you know those, those uh, Instagram videos where they leave the kids with the candy on the table and the parents are filming them and they go away and they say, hey, don't touch this. I'm gonna be back in two minutes. Right? And they film the kids and it's usually siblings. It's great because you watch them as they try to like either encourage each other to take one or encourage each other to wait. It's really important who you surround yourself with, isn't it? It's really important who you run with. Now, these men weren't bad men. Actually, as time goes on, we find out that they serve a great uh, purpose in, in establishing David's reign. The only thing is, is that even some of our closest friends can have the most foolish response. Especially when we know what God has said. David knew what he'd done. David had claimed victory in his own strength, and he didn't allow God to claim victory. Now he's wise enough, he comes out, the story goes on and he, he shows Saul, he's, he's, he apologizes, but he said, I could have taken your life, but I didn't. He pleads, he's like, can't you see like for some reason here? Can we stop this nonsense? But in his heart, the damage was done. Why? Because he had wrestled control back off God. Instead of relying on the reach of God for the right moment where God would qualify and God would overcome and God would open the door and make a way, he forces an issue and symbolically cuts off a bit of the robe. I don't know about you, but I found myself in situations where I've been cutting robes when I shouldn't be. And I've been sewing robes. It's a false victory. We do this all the time. And we do it to try to keep up with the Joneses. We do it because we want people to think that we've got it all together that we've got a package worth celebrating. We've got something that people want to value and we, we think, well, if they've got it, I need to have it. We're not, we're not satisfied with what God's doing in our life in His timing. 
Can I encourage you, those of you who are here this morning, whatever situation, especially if you're finding yourself in a, a situation that is hard right now, don't make the mistake of wrestling back control. Don't make the mistake of reaching in there and claiming false victory. Wait, be patient. The Bible says in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord. Waiting is good. Waiting is powerful. Our reach as humans are so limited. It's so temporary. It's so deficient and dysfunctional. The only time that that reach carries any power is when we acknowledge it and we reach with those unqualified hands towards the one that qualifies us. There's hope for us. When we reach towards God, who has an uninhibited reach to all things, that's where the miracles happen. That's where breakthrough happens. That's where freedom exists, is when we begin to reach like a child, I mentioned earlier, reaches for their parent because they understand that parent is care, that parent is comfort, that parent is protection and provision, that parent is joy. When we take that same posture to our God, miracles begin to flow. The Bible is filled with promises from God that says if you would just posture yourself as a child, if you would humble yourself, if you would turn away from your wicked reach and begin to reach towards me, I'll hear from heaven, I'll open up the gates and I will heal your land. I'll pour out upon you. These are the promises of our God. Jesus says we have a good, good Father who wants to give us good gifts. If you've got your Bible, would you turn with me now? Gospel of Luke, verse eight, chapter eight. We're gonna be reading from verse 40. It says this. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his robe. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, and I love this, People are crowding and pressing against you. Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from my body. Then the woman, seeing that she could no longer be unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all people, she told him that he had, she had touched him and that she was instantly healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's a few things we know about this story that are really good for our soul to hear this morning. One, this woman has been afflicted from this bleeding for 12 years. We know culturally for her time within a Jewish community that she would be unclean. Now, if you were unclean, you were not allowed to come within the, the touching distance of clean people. And if you were possibly gonna be that close, you had to announce yourself as unclean. Imagine that. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. If we were to be really honest, they would know who she is anyway and would be avoiding her like the plague. Because in those times, when Jesus had arrived, if an unclean person touched an, a clean person, the clean person became unclean. But something powerful happens here and it turns that ritual and that ceremonial uh, you know, uh, restriction and law on its head. We see this woman who has every reason not to attempt to reach out. She's rejected. She's tried and failed, so she's dejected. She is an outcast, and she has no value within the very place she calls home. She has multiple people around her that don't want her there. She's not welcomed. Could you imagine her state of mental well-being? Could you imagine the internal conversation that she's having? The internal giants she must overcome to simply reach out, let alone the external realities that are telling her she is unworthy, that she is unloved, and she should be out of this place. 
And this is what I love, is that all these people that are afraid because if she touches them, they will become unclean. She reaches out and what does the Bible say? She reaches for what? The train of Jesus' robe. She reaches out and she touches his robe. And unlike every other circumstance, when the unclean made the clean unclean, we see she reaches out and she touches the cleanest, the most purest form of love, the most purest form of of goodness and kindness and salvation and redemption. Jesus doesn't become unclean. What happens? She becomes clean. She is healed. She is made whole. She reaches and touches the same robe, fills the temple with the glory. This is what happens when we reach for Jesus. This is what happens in our circle. I don't know who you are right now this morning. I don't know what's stopping you. I don't know the internal conversation you're having right now that's saying you don't qualify, that's saying you're not worthy, that's saying, hey, you don't have a place here. Oh, I'm here to talk to that voice in your head right now and say, be quiet because in Jesus, we are qualified. His mercies are new every morning. He can make anything in your life that is broken, healed, anything unclean, clean, anything that is blind, see again. This is our God. If you just reach for him, if you just reach for him this morning, and I just wonder sometimes how often we just don't, we either think it's too small or too insignificant, or we sometimes think, well, I've tried everything. The Bible says that this woman had tried everything, still nothing. 12 years. Maybe there's people in the room right now that you've been carrying something for 12 years and you've tried everything and you feel so disheartened and disqualified and you feel like there's no way out. Can I tell you right now that we serve a God that is alive? His name is Jesus and there's still power in his blood. He still walks and he still moves and he still breathes and he still heals. He still sets set people free, the captives free. He still binds up broken hearts. He's still on the move. He's here this morning and he's wanting to pour out his power. Do you know what I love about this? Is that his power left his body without his permission. Think about it. Technically, he did give permission. Why? Because he put the principles of faith and the enacting of power from God through faith into place. But there was no... Oh, okay, I give you my power. He says, who touched me? Because someone had the faith to activate my power to a principle I put in at the beginning of time and it's happened today and I wanna know who it is because that is amazing. And you would think it would have been one of the disciples who had spent weeks or months or years with him or one of the Pharisees or one of the synagogue leaders. It wasn't. It was a woman that has been living in exile and rejection for 12 years who somehow understood if she just reached for the train of Jesus' robe that his principle would say, power is released. You don't need to wait for Jesus to say yes. He's already said it. You don't need for this finger of God moment right now. You just need to understand who you're reaching for. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. I think in many of our lives, especially post-COVID, what happens is, what's happening is, we're forgetting to live through the lens of what is to come. And we're trying to live through the lens of surviving COVID. And I think maybe God this morning wants to deal with some hearts as well, where he's saying, hey, those years are gone. I need you to reach for what is to come. Stop reaching for the pieces that were left over from that season and start reaching. for Some of us, our dreams have become so like broken and lost that we have now hidden them away. Can I tell you a story that happened when Pastor Emma and I were engaged? This is many years ago now, about 14 years ago. uh, We were engaged and I love to collect teapots. I know, it's weird. I don't look like a teapot collector, do I? But I love a mean teapot. And I also like collecting glass mugs. It's weird, like beer mugs, like a stein. Not that I'm a big beer drinker. I just think they're beautiful, how 
the craftsmanship around the glass. And I don't mean like the Ikea one. Do you know what I mean? I mean the one that was handmade in Europe. I love those ones. And so what would we do? We would travel around on the weekend to different garage sales before there was Marketplace on Facebook. And we would look in and look for teapots and we would look for glass steins, like older ones, the ones that had been around for a while, the ones before we mass produced them, the ones that were made by hand. And this one time I found this particular glass stein and it was beautiful, man. People, you gotta understand, it was beautiful. It was like a crystal cathedral in your hand. It was amazing. And so we wrapped it up and, and I was, I kid you not, I was so protective of it. We drove in the car, I was holding onto it. If we're in an accident, it's going into the airbag first. And we get back to, I was living with my brother at the time. We get back to his house and I'm so excited and I'm unwrapping it and I, and I pick it up and I look at Emma and I said, look at this mug. And I reach out my hand like Christ the Redeemer statue. What I forgot was that in my brother's house was a feature wall made from brick. Very close to me. And I reach out and I just absolutely smash this mug into this wall and it just explodes. And you would think my fiance at the time would see how heartbroken I was. And I was heartbroken, how devastated. Emma just started laughing, like, like profusely laughing. Like, do you know when people ugly laugh and they don't even care? No, I don't care, this is worth it. Their laugh, like when someone's so happy that you're distraught outcome that they're touching everyone in the room. <laughs> and you're just broken. So this is what I do. I, I pick up all the pieces of glass and I put it in a shoebox. I kid you not. And I tell myself, I just need to find somebody who can work with glass to put it back together. And so years go by, we get married, we move house, that box moves. And I mean, I kept it in my kitchen, right? And then it went into the, 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 the bric-a-brac cabinet where my other teapots were, I put the box up there. And then we'd move house and we'd move house. And after a while, that box went from being front and center and believing that it could be fixed by someone who could work with glass to the back end, highest part of our garage, covered in dust, not being looked at for years. And then when we moved here, I found that box. Yeah, I mean, like it's been years now, decade. I find this box and I look at it. And I just had this moment with God. He says, Ben, if you just found a glass maker, maybe they could put it together. And, he, and I just sense what he's saying to me in this moment. He's like, Ben, do you know how many people walk around with broken dreams just like this? At some point it breaks. At some point it feels like it's shattered and they pick up the pieces and they store it somewhere important. And they say, well, if I can just find the dream maker, maybe he can bring it back together. And year after year it passes and the box goes from being in the middle of predominance in your kitchen to before you know it's been 10 years and it's back and you don't even know it's there anymore and it's covered in dust. I wanna tell you this morning, if that's you right now, can you reach for that box in your heart and can you bring it down and can you bring it to the way maker, to the miracle worker, to the dream giver, the vision giver? Because he, where, if a glass maker and a glass worker can, can restore a glass mug, can I tell you right now, the dream and vision maker, he can restore that in this moment. You just need to reach for it and bring it down. I really feel like that's a word for people this morning. Some people right now, you've had dreams that have been in the back end for so long, up in the, the garage covering dust right now right now God's bringing it back to your memory and you're like oh I remember I remember you'd actually designed so much of your decisions around that dream but when it didn't work out in your time in your reach you, all of a sudden it was broken and you put it aside he's saying I'm bringing it back to predominance I'm not finished yet I want to breathe life onto it if you would just reach for it and bring it to me right now I want to do a work even though it's been decades give me a moment I can bring it back to life I can breathe flesh and ligament and, and skin onto dry bones I can raise armies in your life just in a moment. I just need you to reach right now. Would you stand with me, church? I really do believe that that's for people in the room right now, especially after COVID. I don't know about you, but so many dreams and so many visions I had back in 2019, I'm revisiting now. And it feels like I've like lost some of them, but I'm just reminded in that story that if I just bring them before God, 
And if I begin to reach for what is, not what was, I think a miracle can happen. I think even something as long as 12 years can be restored into life to the glory of God and the extension of His kingdom. So with just every eye bow, every eye shut and head bowed, no looking around just for privacy. If that's you right now, you're like, yes, Pastor Ben, this is me. I need God to restore my confidence, restore my vision, restore my faith right now. He gave me, Pastor Ben, you wouldn't imagine. He gave me powerful dreams so many years ago when I was younger and I've just lost them and I've put them aside. Can I tell you right now, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Ben. Yeah, hands going up all across the, the room right now. That's me. I want to reach for Him. I want to experience. It doesn't matter your age right now, no matter how young you are or how many years you've walked this earth. He wants you to reach for Him right now. We're never too young and we're never too old to reach for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the dream giver, way maker, miracle working God. We serve so faithful, so trustworthy. So if that's you, don't let the voice rob you this morning. He's gonna do a work right now. Would you just raise your hand? Raise it high, be, be confident. None of this holding a small bag of popcorn, come on. So many people, I'm included. Would you join your faith with me right now as I pray? And I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna fall in this place and He's gonna begin to give those vision dreams back and the confidence that come with them. He's gonna begin to open doors. He's gonna begin to mend it and bring it back together and breathe life and courage and boldness into your bones. Holy Spirit, we just thank You for Your presence. We thank You that it's Your ministry and Your work, Lord God, to testify of the redeeming, restoring, healing power of Jesus Christ. And so right now we ask, Lord God, over every hand raised, every heart open and surrendered, Lord God, would you pour out your spirit, Lord, your miracle working power right now, Lord God, as they reach, Lord God, as we reach out for you right now, Holy Spirit, would you begin to stir and would you begin to resurrect those dry bones, Lord God, would you begin to breathe into us right now, Lord God, a fresh wind, Lord God, a fresh spirit, Lord God, a new energy, Lord God, Lord, a new mission for a new day, Lord God. Father, would you begin to bring boldness and courage to their souls, Lord God. Father, would they just begin to experience you right now, Holy Spirit, like never before as you begin to download into their life. Lord, as you begin to speak to them, as you begin to deposit into them, Lord God, dreams and visions, both new and old, Lord God. Father, we thank you right now, right across this church, that you are building it through your people that faithfully reach for you. Lord God, that the church is built on men and women obedient to pursue the dreams God has given us. So fill us with your obedience and your faith right now, Lord God. We worship you. We honor you, Lord God. Oh, we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Just before I leave, just with every head bowed and eyes shut, I just want to, I don't want to leave here this morning without giving everyone the opportunity to encounter Jesus, just like this woman did on the road. And you might be here right now this morning, this is the first time you're hearing about this man, Savior, Son of God, Jesus Christ, but you know, you feel in your heart, God's knocking. Now, now you don't have every answer, but you know right now that He's present. And I wanna give you the opportunity. The Bible says that we're just to confess with our, our mouth and believe in our heart that He's Lord and we will receive Him. It's a process of genuine, authentic acknowledgement in the depth of your heart and with your mouth that He is Lord. And this morning, if that's you, He says, I wanna do life with you. I wanna give you vision. I wanna give you a greater purpose. I wanna restore unto you a joy that only comes with knowing heaven and the, and, the, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And no one's looking around. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand just so I can see no one else and I can pray with you. There's people in the room as well, you know that you've said yes to Jesus before, but for whatever reason, it's, it's not as healthy as it should be and you wanna restore health through conviction and declaration that you accept and, and you've come back and said, yeah, I need Jesus again. 
I want to give you the same time, the opportunity to say, God, it's me. I'm coming home. I'm home again. If that's you without anyone looking around, you do something really brave and really courageous, really powerful. Would you just raise your hand so I can see, so I can pray with you? Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yes, hands all across the building. Come on, don't listen to that voice that says, hey, you know what? You can come next week and you can do it then. Do you know why? Because it's lying to you. Not that you couldn't do that, but it's gonna say the same thing next week. And it's just trying to rob you of the freedom that Jesus has and paid for right here and now in this moment. Don't go another day without it. One more time, if that's you, would you raise your hand up just so I can see you? Yeah, come on. That's amazing. Powerful decisions. Powerful decisions. Church, do you mind as I pray that you would repeat after me, all of us, and if you raised your hand, would you pray this from the depth of your heart? It's a simple prayer and it's one that acknowledges that Jesus is King, that He did die for our sins and that He did rose, He rose again. He overcame the grave that He's a living God, not a dead one. So church, when we go to games and sports and our team scores a goal, we make a lot of noise. So do you think knowing that all of heaven is partying right now because sons and daughters have come home that we can join with that loud declaration in this prayer and begin to celebrate? Yeah. So church, would you repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for his life, death, and resurrection. This morning, we ask for your forgiveness. This morning, we ask for your forgiveness. For our sin and rebellion. For our sin and rebellion. We declare. We declare. From the depth of our heart. That Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Is our Lord. Is our Lord. Our Savior. Our friend and king. And from this moment forth, from this moment forth, I give the service of my life, I give the service of my life into your hands. Into your hands. To everlasting. To everlasting. We pray this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. The fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Come on, church, let's sing that. We need a fresh wind, a fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. We need a fresh wind, a fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. church to start dreaming again in your life but as a church to go from mourning to dancing from grieving to dreaming there's more God has more amen listen if you prayed that prayer today to make Jesus Lord of your life to give your life would you do us a favor would you also go to the yellow wall 
The team there uh, has want to make sure they put a Bible in your hands. Just connect with you. Just the Bible says to confess with your mouth. That's one way you can do it. Go, hey, I prayed that prayer today. You may have seen me for three years, but I prayed it today. This is my first Sunday. I prayed it today. Stop by the yellow wall. It's an amazing Sunday. Amen. Can we give a round of applause again? Thank Pastor Ben for such a word. Church, we love you. We love you, but we also love if you'd pick up your kids. Do not leave them where you, where you sent them. You, they need to go with you. The coffee is flowing and free. Next Steps is happening right now. Right now, step one. We love you so much. Have an amazing Sunday, and we'll see you next Sunday morning. She said, boy, this kind of praying is what saved my life. You ought to try it sometime. And now I know she was right. She was talking to Jesus. She was talking to Jesus. She'd been talking to Jesus. For all of her life Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights Khaki pants and a polo shirt Boy, I put up a fight She said, son, one day you'll thank me For having God in your life yeah, I know she was right Yeah, my mama was right Cause now I'm talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus Yeah, my mama was right Cause now I'm talking to Jesus Yeah, I love talking to Jesus and I'll be talking to Jesus for the rest of my life. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Don't you know? What a friend we have.